Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Welcome to episode 298 of Lean Blog Audio. Today, I'm reading a blog post that I published um, today, March 16th, 2020. It's titled, For COVID-19 Preparedness, Hospitals Need More Than Written Protocols. So I've been thinking a lot about hospitals and how they're preparing for the expected tsunami of COVID-19 patients who are going to need ICU beds and ventilators when it's, it, it's expected that um, you know, before too long, uh, with, within um, a week or a month or so, depending on the different estimates you see, that there's not going to be enough of either. There have been you know, a lot of recent preparations and some ongoing actions to, to screen patients who arrive at places like emergency rooms and outpatient clinics. I was at one organization last week that was in the process of installing new protocols and procedures in an outpatient clinic setting. I was able to have you know, at least a, a tiny amount of input into that. Uh, and now I'm home and I'm trying to help remotely with the situation when they ask. But I hope uh, this blog post helps more broadly. You know, it's important to think through processes very deeply at a time like this. I mean, yes, there's an urgency to move now, but we also... Um, there's also a need to get it right or to quickly improve a process once we learn it's not perfect and hardly any process is perfect the first time we try it. So I saw this quote the other day in an article um, in Becker's Hospital Review, and uh, this is Dr. Judd Hollander, Senior VP for Healthcare Delivery Innovation at Jefferson Health. And he says, in theory, we're prepared. We know what we need to do. But depending on the extent and seriousness of the outbreak, knowing what to do and being able to do it are two different things. One thing I know with 100% certainty, if we think we're fully prepared, people will find a way to make sure we're not. Now, I'm not really, I don't, I don't know if he's blaming people. I, I, I wouldn't do that. I don't, I don't know if I like the sound of that. But I think the key thought in what he said is, I'll repeat, knowing what to do and being able to do it are two different things. Because I would add, I mean, writing a procedure or a protocol is just one step in the process of developing a Loctite process. I mean, even if you use lean terminology like standardized work, the same idea applies. So it's not only the document that matters. It also matters greatly how you train people and how you supervise the work and how you continue to refine the work over time. I mean, there have been news reports of stories from nurses who complain about feeling unprepared for COVID-19. One article said they were told to watch online training videos. Well, I think lean thinkers would agree that watching a video about something important like properly donning and doffing protective gear, doffing, you know, the term for taking it off, um, watching a video is not as effective as in-person one-on-one training where you can practice. If a healthcare worker gets infected because they weren't wearing their PPE gear properly, the hospital shouldn't fall back on saying something like, well, they watched the video as a defense. So that's where methods like training within industry or TWI provide helpful frameworks for making sure training and job skills isn't just delivered, but that it's understood and effective. TWI is basically the core of any lean or Toyota production system based approach for job instruction documents, instruction and improvement. TWI can be used to teach and confirm understanding of things like proper hand washing techniques as a video from uh, the, the Patrick Graup and the TWI Institute shows. And if you want to watch that video, you can go to leanblog.org slash audio 298. I've got that video embedded. But, you know, in general, we need the right procedures, what we think are the right procedures based on our medical and technical knowledge. 
But we don't really know for sure that a procedure is sufficient and effective until it's tested in practice. Another quote from, oh, this is a quote from uh, Dr. Paul Buttinger, Chief of the Division of Emergency Preparedness at Mass General Hospital and Director of the MGH Center for Disaster Medicine. He said, hospitals should absolutely make sure that they have confidence in their training for clinical staff who might be expected to care for patients with COVID-19, whether in an emergency department, an urgent care setting, or in the inpatient setting. I would add, I mean, also in outpatient settings where anybody could walk in with respiratory symptoms. So I would add, you know, that I think a lean thinking healthcare organization and its leaders would never just assume that a protocol is correct and effective. It has to be tested. And the testing has to allow for the honest assessment that it's not fully sufficient. This could mean that, you know, one, the procedure uh, itself is not correct, or two, the way it's documented or is being taught is not clear or effective. Or I'll add even thirdly, it could mean that the world has changed since the procedure um, was originally written. There needs to be room for Kaizen, the continuous improvement of refinement of said standard work. So keep in mind, PDSA, plan, do, study, adjust. Writing a standardized work document is never a one-time exercise. You might also think of this as um, SD. SA, standardize, do, study, and adjust. Or as Toyota people talk about SDCA, standardize, do, check, act. The language doesn't matter as much as the mindset of iteration and testing and improvement. Another key lesson from Toyota is that standardized work should be written by the people who do the work. I'd be way less confident in procedures that are written in isolation by a group of senior leaders no offense to them, then I would be, I'd be more confident in procedures that are written by or with significant input and direct involvement from frontline staff, and then having that get tested in real settings. So keep in mind the ability and the need to iterate is not an excuse to roll out something that's half-baked because then we can improve it. Lives could be on the line in these COVID-19 circumstances, so we have to do our best to be perfect even if that's um, unlikely. When we have a procedure that's imperfect, we must learn that sooner rather than later. You know, beyond the initial evaluation, there needs to be ongoing supervision of the work. I was discussing this uh, last week with a colleague from Value Capture, uh, Megan Scanlon, and she said, quote, once they have these standards, how will they know if they're being followed and if they're delivering the expected outcome? Process observation will be key. So this is part of the ongoing improvement cycles that we need to have. You know, leaders need to directly observe the process, not to be distrustful of staff or to be micromanaging, but, you know, for one to make sure it's possible to do the right work the right way. We can observe and collect data to see if one, is the standardized work being followed? And two, if followed, are we getting the results that we expected or predicted? If not, don't blame individuals. Look at how to improve the system of work. So it's been concerning to see news reports that say things like this. There's a headline in the New York Times, nurses battling coronavirus beg for protective gear and better planning. This is an article from March 5th, actually, focused on the West Coast that was being hit with um, coronavirus or COVID-19 uh, sooner than the rest of the country. So um, you know, I, I think you know, nurses need to be protected for one. And, and, and I want to give thanks of course, to all of the nurses and other healthcare professionals who are quite literally putting themselves in harm's way. 
you know, people can't follow the procedures for using PPE if that equipment isn't available, as it said in the Times. Nurses in Washington and California said they have had to beg for N95 masks, which are thicker than surgical masks, and block out much smaller particles, and have faced ridicule from colleagues when expressing concerns about catching the highly contagious virus. Some have complained about being pulled out of quarantine early to treat patients because of staff shortages. So I think for you know, one, nurses shouldn't have to beg for the correct equipment. That's a supply chain issue that the hospitals and vendors um, need to address. Uh, a different article about the N95 masks said, um, hospital administrators recently restricted practitioners access to N95 masks, claiming it was because of the national shortage, a nurse said. Now, healthcare workers there have to seek a manager's permission to obtain one of these respirators, even if someone walks into the ER who presents coronavirus concerns. So the article continues. Upon being screened in the triage area, patients with concerning symptoms would be isolated. Logistically, this means that nurses' requests for masks would come after potential exposure. Now, this is me editorializing. That, that's, that's, that's just crazy. But the, um, you know, the article said, uh, again, right after access to the N95 masks was curtailed, nurses would have to find the day's supervising nurse who would have to call a unit manager who would then have to call the supply room for masks. At that point, somebody would have to get these masks from the supply room and bring them to the ER, she said. After nurses protested the onerous process, some N95 masks were placed in a locked cart on the floor and some with the supervising nurse, but they were only size regular, which would be too big for her and some other nurses rendering them useless. So back to the, uh, the previous quote, needless to say, people should never be ridiculed for expressing concerns about the safety of themselves or their patients. There was an article from The Guardian that had a story about that too. It said, when, when a nurse voiced concerns to management, she claims to have been warned, stop freaking out and stop scaring everybody. So people being pulled out of quarantine early is, of course, not the best way to address staff shortages. That's another systemic problem that's owned by senior leadership. But back to the New York Times story, there was detail on the alleged violation of the quarantine. It said that after quarantining some workers who were exposed to coronavirus patients, the hospital determined that the extent of the quarantine was unrealistic because it left shortages in a needed workforce. They brought nurses back who were asymptomatic, an approach deemed reasonable by the CDC, and are testing them twice a shift. They are also required to wear masks while treating patients. But it seems that standards for quarantining a nurse should be based on the medical criteria. I think the variable of short staffing shouldn't enter into it. I mean, I realize the patients need nurses, but they also need nurses who aren't sick, even if the nurse is wearing a mask to prevent the spread of their own droplets and to protect them from the patients. But I hope this has changed since March 5th. It's said again in the article, of the 6,500 nurses who participated in a survey, 29% said their hospitals had a plan in place to isolate potential coronavirus patients, and 44% said they had received guidance from their employers about how to handle the virus. Now, and, and those seem like low numbers. Maybe some of the planning has occurred over the past 10 days, you know, better late than never. But again, having a plan is only the first step. We need a plan or a procedure. We need effective training. We need continuous improvement of those procedures. 
We need supervision that helps make sure people are able to do the right things the right way. So these are critically important issues in this day and age. They were critically important before this crisis, and they'll remain important in the future. So the final thing I want to share um, was a sobering article um, with a headline, U.S. hospitals say they're ready for coronavirus. Their infection control violations say otherwise. So in this article, it talks about when patients were sent to a New Jersey hospital from a cruise ship back in February. And it said, quote, oh, so the governor, Phil Murphy, said in a statement, the hospital is following proper infection control protocols while evaluating these individuals. But unfortunately, I would add that's easier said than done. I mean, I wouldn't expect a governor to know, but who is telling him that the protocols are being followed? And do hospital leaders know or are they assuming? It was different circumstances, but in the same hospital, the article says, quote, less than two years ago, a deadly bacteria made its way through the facility. Three babies in the neonatal intensive care unit got infected and died. Government inspectors cited the hospital for being short of staff, failing to maintain a sanitary environment, including improper hand hygiene and sterilization, and inadequately isolating patients with respiratory conditions. They determined the hospital had put patients in, quote-unquote, immediate jeopardy. So maybe that's all indeed been fixed, as some people said in the article, but have problems like that been fixed at your local hospital? I mean, as we know, hand hygiene compliance or adherence or whatever you, word you would want to use is a widespread problem. Many times, many, many times in various hospitals, I've observed staff and doctors ignore or violate isolation, PPE guidelines or other practices that would impact infection rates. Um, so in the article, again, it says uh, infection control has been a recurring problem at some of the very hospitals that would likely be called upon to treat COVID-19 patients. Uh, said uh, a ProPublica, that's the, the publisher of this article, really good independent journalist, by the way, a ProPublica review of uh, hundreds of hospital inspection reports found. Um, this raises concerns that they could become hotbeds for disease, putting patients at risk and rendering infected workers unable to care for others. So I say let's hope hospitals have this figured out. I mean, many, many lives depend on it. Again, the article said medical providers across the country told ProPublica that they're worried about their safety and their hospital's lack of preparation. They spoke on condition of anonymity because they're not authorized to speak on behalf of their hospitals. And I would add they probably fear retaliation for speaking up internally or externally. So I'm curious, what are you seeing in your healthcare organization if you work in one? You can leave an, you can leave an anonymous comment on the blog post if you like. Uh, again, that's at leanblog.org slash audio 298. And I'd also be curious to learn if you're using lean methods to ensure that your training is indeed effective.